Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10 this morning. 9 and 10. We're working on the section having to do with the church of Philadelphia, often known or referred to as the church of brotherly love. The root word in the Greek for the word Philadelphia is phileo, which means brotherly love. Phileo, warm, tender feelings of affection for one another. And that's certainly something that should be evidenced in the church. We know that God takes it a step further because not only are we expected to have phileo for one another, warm, tender feelings of affection, we, we are expected to have agape, God's unconditional love that, that is worked into our hearts and minds via the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, agape. But we should also have phileo, and Philadelphia was characterized by their phileo from one another, their brotherly love, as well as their agape. It's also been referred to as the missionary church. And as we mentioned last week, there are different viewpoints on what period of church history this represents. Some say 1800 until the modern era, but others, and perhaps more accurately, say something like 1648 until 1900. Uh, After the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, in the mid-1600s up through 1900, the evangelical perspective really came to the forefront. Believers really emphasizing the need not only to have a, a faith, a belief in God and His Son, Jesus Christ, but to spread the good news, to spread the gospel. Of course, that's a concept that goes all the way back to the first century church. But as we mentioned last week, during the Middle Ages, this whole idea of evangelism and so forth had kind of fallen by the wayside. The Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, the Spanish Inquisition, there was a lot of oppression, religious oppression, which really gave God a bad name, gave Jesus Christ a bad name. But then we have the emergence of the Philadelphia era of the church and uh, you might even say the golden age of the church. But as we've seen within our own lifetimes, barring the one, I believe, genuine international revival of the Jesus movement days, beginning in the late 60s and going on through the 70s, literally millions of people of all ages, but especially young people coming to Christ, that was a dynamic revival and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Barring that, we've seen pretty much an overall decline in Christianity. God's still moving, people still getting saved, and you'll have pockets here and there of revival-type outbreaks, but the last truly international revival would be that one I just described of the Jesus movement. So anyway, we're looking at Philadelphia. I want to back up to verse 7, read 7 through 10. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, And we mentioned last week, this is the emphasis. In each of his letters, messages to the seven churches, Jesus emphasizes different aspects of his nature, of his character. Here, it's his holiness and the fact that he is not only truthful, he is the embodiment of truth. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, he who has the key of David, speaking of his authority as the heir and successor to the throne of David. He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So important to remember that, that if God is taking you a certain direction, guiding you, leading you, directing you, 
then he will open a door that no one can shut. And he shuts doors that no one can open. And that's a door. You don't want to try to kick that door down. And sometimes I think, even as believers, we do that. God closes a door in our best interest and according to his plan, but we get frustrated, we get discouraged, we get irritated, whatever, and we try to kick the door down. Don't do that. We don't want to do that. It doesn't ever turn out well. So we go on here. He says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. And so based upon their works, their fruit, Jesus says, I've opened a door for you that no one can shut. And so that's the deal. Oftentimes we get ahead of God. We, maybe we focus on the door when we just should be focusing on doing the right things, walking in obedience, following Christ. And then as we do that, he opens doors, he closes doors. And as I've said many times, I didn't originate this. I forget, I heard it many, many years ago, and it's always stuck with me. It's much easier to steer a moving object. So by moving, we're saying simply this. Be proactive in your walk with God. Make it the priority of your life to walk with Him, to know Him, to fellowship with Him daily, not just on Sunday mornings. And as we are moving forward in our relationship with Him, as we are growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, He will steer our lives. And we can step out. We can do th- Maybe we volunteer with Wings for Life. Maybe go down to the Planned Parenthood. Anytime it's something that is obviously part of God's heart. Is it part of God's heart to protect the unborn? Is it part of God's heart to minister to the families of those who are incarcerated? So it's not like, gee, I don't want to make a mistake here. There's no mistake when you're doing good in the name of Christ, but as we pursue various options and opportunities, it will become obvious whether that's your niche or not. But if you don't ever step out in faith and make an effort to do anything, then you'll never find your niche. It's easier to steer a moving object. I can't believe I'm already preaching out of the intro. Okay. (laughs) He who opens and no one shuts, shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. No one can shut it, for you have a little strength. We've talked about this. The little strength could be not about weakness, but about the fact that they were a relatively small church. But remember, Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed which is the tiniest of seeds, you can move a mountain. So you have a little strength. I know your works. I've opened the door for you. You have a little strength. You've kept my word, which is vitally important. And that was an issue for some of these other churches in Asia Minor, giving in to false teaching, false doctrine, the the, uh, deceptions of Jezebel, so forth. And have not denied my name. Again, so vitally important. The only name given under heaven by which man must be saved is the name of Jesus. If we become part of a group that is, you know, stealthy and clandestine, and oh, we don't want to turn anybody off by saying his name, well, then we have nothing to offer. If we can't even speak his name, it's the only name that can save people. So he, they're commended for these things. You have a little strength. You haven't. You haven't thrown in the towel. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. And so here's where we pick it up today. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan 
who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time in your word today. We ask God that you would bless this time as we study together. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. He said, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. So these were unsaved Jews. We know that as Paul went around to the various cities preaching the gospel, he would go first to the synagogue, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile because the Jews were his people. But he, he definitely recognized that his primary calling was to be the apostle to the Gentiles, but he felt an obligation to his own people, very commendable, very understandable. And we know that as he went from city to city, he and the other apostles, some Jews embraced Jesus Christ as their Messiah, many did not. And so within the city of Philadelphia, they had what Jesus refers to as the synagogue of Satan, unsaved Jews who opposed Christians, they made up this synagogue of Satan. Kind of like what I was talking about this morning, that unfortunately our enemy we know is the devil, but he does find willing human instruments that he can work through. Remember that Smyrna had to contend with these people as well back in chapter 2, verse 9. In fact, often this is the case. And I remember it's been quite a number of years ago because we were still having church in the other building. I said this, and I will stick by it, that when things get really hairy, really bad, the first people to turn on the true church will be the false church. The religious. Who were the ones that most vehemently opposed Jesus Christ? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? And so these unsaved Jews, ones that had not received Christ, even though today there's a, there's a much better relationship between Christians and Jews, God is bringing them together, which is very appropriate in the last days. And we see more Jewish people embracing Jesus Christ every day. And even those who were not, are more amenable to him than they once were. But these early Christians were worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God that the Jews worshiped, and yet they were so violently opposed to these Christians in Philadelphia that Jesus identifies them as the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Because in the early days of the church, Christianity was viewed as just another sect of Judaism. It was looked upon as an offshoot of Judaism. It's really not an offshoot, it's really the fulfillment. And a term that's not so popular today, but was at one point in time, a completed Jew is referred to someone who had become a follower of Christ. They were completed, they were fulfilled. And so Christianity really is the fulfillment. The book of Hebrews talks about it a lot. The Old Covenant, the New Covenant. The New Covenant is referred to as a better covenant. But Jesus says here that he will make the enemies of the Philadelphian church, which were apparently first and foremost those of this synagogue of Satan. 
And, you know, some of you may have experienced this yourselves if you've come out of a background, perhaps of Catholicism or some other mainstream, mainline group, and your whole family's a part of that, and you've departed and become part of the Calvary Chapel cult. That was really particularly the case in the early days of Calvary Chapel. Nobody had heard of it. Nobody knew what it was, and guys were, and gals were leaving Southern California, which is where it all began, traveling all over the country to plant Calvary Chapel churches, and nobody had ever heard of it. It wasn't Baptist, it wasn't Methodist, it wasn't Lutheran, it wasn't even Assembly of God or Foursquare or what have you, and there were many times where it was unorthodox, it was different. The pastors wore Hawaiian shirts instead of suits. The, the worship group had guitars and drums and basses and so forth. And so a lot of people were labeling us as a cult. So some of you may have experienced this. You've been ostracized, criticized, or even uh, had family members, friends distance themselves from you because you've stepped out of that uh, accepted mainstream religious system. But Jesus says, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. So he promises to humble those who have persecuted the believers at Philadelphia. So have compassion on those if there are those around you. Now, you know, unbelievers may mock you, make fun of you and so forth, criticize you, but it's really even more hurtful than when someone near and dear to you does that. And someone who ought to understand your faith, but they seem not to, so keep in mind that God will deal with their hearts. It's not our place to humble them. That's God's doing. And Jesus promises to humble those who persecuted the believers at Philadelphia, and he'll do the same for you and for me. The promise to Philadelphia is greater than the one to Smyrna. To Smyrna, the promise was that the synagogue of Satan would not win over her, which is not a bad promise. That's a good promise. But to Philadelphia, he promised that she would even win over some of these Saul's, if you will. Remember Paul before he was a believer? He was Saul. He was a persecutor of Christians. He hated the Christians. And he's going to win some of these Saul's over. He's going to humble them, have them come and worship at your feet. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. This is something we really have to remember, especially as believers. Rather give place to wrath. In other words, when people unleash their wrath upon you, as difficult as it may be to accept it, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And by the way, the Lord is really the only one that has the right to exact vengeance. Because all of us are imperfect, we're all sinners, right? It's like that old expression, when you point the finger at someone, you've got all these pointing back at yourself. We're only holy and righteous because of Jesus, because he has washed us with his precious blood. He has clothed us in his robes of righteousness. So that's where we get expressions like holier than thou. No, no one's holier than anyone else. Only by the grace of God are we saved, are we forgiven. So vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let God deal with it. He'll deal with it in the proper way at the right time. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon forms against you shall prosper. I like that one a lot, don't you? I pray that for all my family members every night. Father, don't let any weapon fashioned against any of my kids, my grandkids, brothers, sisters, you name it. 
Don't let any weapon fashioned against them prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So we have that promise. First of all, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And don't worry about it, no matter what people may do or say, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And by the way, the ultimate source of those weapons is Satan, it's the devil. And I think about that when I'm praying for my family, Father, don't let any weapon fashioned against them prosper. I'm, I'm reminded the ultimate source of that weaponry is it's not people, it's Satan, but sadly and unfortunately, he does work through people. But here's the deal, folks. If we focus on living fruitful lives for Jesus, keeping his word like the Church of Philadelphia, proclaiming his holy name like the Church of Philadelphia, he will be our avenger and our vindicator. But if we're not willing to take a stand for him, then why should we expect him to take a stand for us, right? Many years ago, I forget who said it, but it always stuck with me. This person said, if we want God's best for us, then we need to give our best for God. Does that make sense? The amazing thing to me is, in spite of how undeserving I am of the blessings of God, He blesses my socks off. And I kind of feel guilty about it, you know? I tell the Lord, I don't deserve it. Thank you, God. Thank you for all that you've done for me, all the ways you've blessed me. I don't deserve it. But, having said that, who knows? The sky is the limit. As we sell out to Him, there's no limit to what He can and will do for us. The good news, we should take this to heart, it would eliminate a lot of the stress and anxiety in our lives. We need not defend ourselves, for He will defend us. And I'd rather have Him defending me than me any day of the week. I know He'll do a lot better job. So we go on to verse 10. Because you've kept my command to persevere to hang in there, to endure, to fight the good fight of the faith. And sadly, how many of us know people who have not persevered? At one time, they seemed to have a vibrant faith, a vibrant walk with God, a vibrant relationship with God, but now they don't. I can think of people near and dear to me like that, and it breaks my heart. I pray, God, bring them under the conviction of your Holy Spirit. Bring them back into fellowship within the body of Christ, because they are believers, but... God has become a very small part of their lives. It's a sad thing. Because you've kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Because you've kept my command. In verse 8, Jesus said, you have kept my word. Basically the same thing. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, He's your Lord, which I've told you many times, that means master. He gives us commands that we are to obey. Like John 15, 17, these things I command you that you love one another. Did you know that love for believers is not optional? He, God actually commands us. And the only way we can fulfill that command is to walk in the Spirit, to bring forth that fruit of the Spirit, that agape love. God doesn't command us to do something that's impossible, but it, is, it does require effort on our part. It requires participation. 
that we walk with him daily, that we walk in the spirit, that like we, we do like Paul said, I crucify my flesh. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Matthew 7, 24, therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine or these words of mine and does them. See, that's the key. I know back in the day before the secular educational system became so entirely antichrist and ungodly like it is today, they used to teach in some high schools and especially in colleges and universities, they would have, they would have a class called the Bible as Literature. Anybody remember that? They don't do that anymore. But, again, you can study the Bible as a literary work. In fact, there are people, in fact, we're told in the Scriptures that the devil knows the Bible, the demons know the Scriptures, but it doesn't do them any good. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, so the building of our house upon the rock of Jesus Christ depends upon walking in obedience to his word, obeying his commands. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock, Jesus. So we see here, folks, as I tell you over and over again, our lives, whether we're believers or not, the first and most important choice that we should ever make is the choice to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But our lives are all about choices. The devil wants people to believe that we don't have choices, that we are just victims of our circumstances. We have no choice. And yet, those who are in favor of abortion are known as those who embrace pro-choice, right? Pro-choice. What about the choice to not sleep with someone if you're not married, right? What about the choice to not be promiscuous and sexually active as a single person? Is that a choice? Now, if you make the right choice there, then you don't have to worry about the next choice, do you? But see, that would be considered hateful. If you would tell somebody that, you're a hater. But you're not a hater if you tell them to go ahead and abort their baby. Life is all about choices, folks. The first and most important choice is to choose Jesus. And then after that, we have choices. Just like human children have choices to obey their parents or to disobey. What causes children to disobey their parents? Sin nature, right? What's the first word they learn? No. What's the second word they learn? Mine. Oh, no, but they're all born pure and holy and righteous. It's only this evil world that programs all these things into them. If you could put a baby in a bubble, he would be this perfect human being. No, I don't think so. We're born in sin. We start making choices very early on, and for the most part, they tend to be very selfish choices. As children of God, we can choose to obey our parents, in this case our Heavenly Father. We can choose to obey His commands, or we can choose to disobey. So Philadelphia is commended because you've kept my command. You see, the Philadelphian Christians had chosen to obey God. 
Joshua 24, 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves. Joshua was telling the children of Israel, you have a choice. God's not going to force you to serve him. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, referring to the pagan origins of the Hebrews. Abraham, Abram, and Sarah or Sarai prior to their conversion, prior to having God appear to them and lead them out of Ur of the Chaldees to the land of Canaan. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, says Joshua, we will serve the Lord. It is a choice. People will try to blame anybody and anything, won't they, on why they're not serving God? Well, this thing happened back in my life a few years ago, and I just can't forgive God. Really? <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but God does not want or need your forgiveness because He's never done anything wrong. Or it's someone else that did something to you. See, that just won't cut it. No matter what happens in your life, and so we've been hearing recently, as we get ready to close, all the justifications for the violence and the destruction and so forth. It's this person's fault, it's that group's fault, and so forth. And yet there are others with reason and common sense who have stepped forward and said, no, wait a minute, poverty is no excuse for violence and destruction. I don't care how rich or poor you are, what color you are, what color, race, creed, and so forth, you can choose to be a good person or you can choose to be a bad person. Now, even the best of us are not good. The Bible says there's none good. No, not one. There's none righteous. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But every day we make choices that move us further in one direction or the other. To repent means I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to go this way. I want to follow Jesus. So here I go. I'm repenting. And then I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall. I'm going to make mistakes. But I always go back to God and I ask forgiveness and I don't ever use my mistakes or anyone else's as an excuse to no longer follow Christ. Right? Let's stand. There's a lot of stuff heavy on my heart this morning, i got to tell you. Again, we're in a fight for the heart, soul, mind of America. Don't forget it. I personally don't want to live in a country where churches are closed. I don't want to live in a country where unborn babies are killed at will, whenever, however, whyever. Do you? No. I don't want to live in a country where there's no longer an active law enforcement community, where police are defunded and defamed and shamed. We need our law enforcement. They're good people for the most part. They protect us. They take care of us. They keep civility in our society. I don't want to live in a country where there's no longer a border patrol or ICE agents. I don't want to live in a country where you can commit a crime and then just walk free. No bail. California, if you steal $950 worth of merchandise, you can walk right out the door. They won't prosecute you. Did you know that? I don't want to live in a country like that. That's what we'll have if things go a certain way in 30 days. Do you realize that? 
Put aside all your biases, all your preconceived ideas, whatever you think or don't think, and realize what you're facing, what we're up against, and what could happen in a very, very short period of time. You've already seen the mockery of Christianity, of people of faith, and you know which side it's coming from. Don't tell me that you don't, because you do. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. If this country makes the wrong choice on November 3rd, the persecution will only get stronger and stronger and stronger. All right, let's pray. Father God, we do want to be like the Church of Philadelphia. The people, we know the Church of Philadelphia was and is the people. It's not a building. They probably didn't even have a building. It's the people, the people who had a little strength. We can identify with that, Father. I don't think any of us here this morning feel like dynamos and spiritual powerhouses, but we have a little strength because you've given us strength. Lord, it's by your grace that we stand. Father, we have a little strength. We thank you for it. It comes from you. We've kept your word, Father. Again, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We blow it all the time. But we honor your word in this church. Lord, we uplift your word. We believe every single cross, T, and dotted I, cover to cover, book to book, Genesis to Revelation, we believe in, we trust in, we acknowledge the veracity and the validity of your divinely inspired scriptures. And we uphold the name of Jesus. We will never shrink back or pull back from uplifting, honoring, and upholding the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, the Savior of our souls. We honor and uplift the name of Jesus in this place. And Lord, we ask that you continue to do a work in each of our hearts that we might truly not only have phileo, brotherly love for one another, although we should have that. Lord, we're to love you or to love one another as you have loved us. Help us to do that. Help us to be an example to those around us of your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. But Lord, we realize and recognize we don't have to shrink back from the truth in order to do that. We can speak the truth in love, and we ask you to help us to do that. And as we close, I'm going to ask anyone who needs prayer this morning, please raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you guys. For you or for someone near to you, whether it be for health, for finances, jobs, guidance, direction, comfort, encouragement, strength, whatever it is, I see every hand, and more importantly, God sees your hand. Father, I lift each one of these up to you now. God, thank you that you're big enough, you're omnipresent, you're everywhere, you're omniscient, you're all-knowing, and you're all-powerful, you're omnipotent. And so, Lord, we can come with absolute confidence, knowing that you've seen these hands, you know these hearts, you know what's on their hearts and minds. We lift up whatever situation it is that they're dealing with this morning, whether it would be finances, employment, lack of employment, Father, uh, living conditions, relationships, health, afflictions, diseases, injuries. Lord, we're so thankful and comforted by the knowledge that you've got it all covered. Lord, you know what's going on with each one. We lift them up to you now. We pray for strength, comfort, encouragement, for healing where needed, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. For provision, Lord, you did promise to provide for us. We know that not 
all of our wants, perhaps, but all of our needs. You did promise that you'd take care of us and provide for us. And our place is to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Help us to do that. Bless each one of these, Father, I pray. And Lord, if there's even one person here today who is not uh, secure or confident in their relationship with you, that today they would reach out to you, they would start afresh and anew, acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, confess their sins, repent, invite you to come and live inside of them, Lord, and I pray that you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit and give them the strength to persevere like the Church of Philadelphia. The people there were commended because they had persevered, they had endured, they had not thrown in the towel, they had not hung it up. Help us not to do that either. And receive now, we pray, our final offering of praise and worship in Jesus' name. Amen.